The title for today is Radical Change, Matthew 5, 1 to 2. And I know what you're thinking. Wait a minute. What are we doing in Matthew? I thought we were in the book of Mark. You didn't even get through Mark yet. We're not even through chapter 3 yet, right? Well, right between, remember how we've been doing the Gospels, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, fit like a hand in a glove. They kind of fill in the cracks. The Holy Spirit led each of the different Gospel writers to record different things of Jesus' life that if you put them all together, you get the full Picture And right between Mark chapter 3, verse 19, which we finished last time, and Mark chapter 3, verse 20, which we'll be doing who knows when, uh, Matthew 5 to 7 fits right in between that little crack there. And that's the Sermon on the Mount comes in there. And I kept wanting to just kind of jump over because I, you know... uh, you know, it's going to be a lot of work digging into Matthew 5 to 7. But I just couldn't get past it. And we are in for an exciting, exciting little trip. We'll come back to Mark chapter 3 when we're done with this Sermon on the Mount. We're going to really, I want to encourage you to read Matthew 5 through 7. Read it weekly, even daily. And really start to dig into it. We're going to really get into into it very, very deep. Jesus probably went much, much deeper. We're going to read it in just a little bit. And you'll see it's... There's a lot there, but we know that Jesus probably went in much, much deeper. Especially later, we know he went into deeper and the apostles went in deeper and all that. But I'm sure even then he probably explained each of the different concepts he was teaching and went much deeper. We're going to, we're going to, this is going to be a shocking experience for us. Most of us, when we read the Sermon on the Mount, we grew up with it. A lot of us have grown up with it, read it many times, just kind of take it for granted. But we're going to see that what Jesus did here was a shocking sermon. He, the people, it would be like saying, guess what guys, the earth isn't really here, uh, you know, and uh, black is white and white is black. And it would be just like totally throwing your mind into a, a spin because what he did spiritually with his teaching is went against all the religious establishment, all the stuff they were teaching. That's why he would say, you have heard, but I tell you. He, he went into a depth in the, in the word of God that just blew people away. It was a radical, radical sermon. And that's what we're going to do. We're gonna, Jesus did this in one sermon. We're going to probably take, I'm not going to say how long, but it's going to be a while. And, and, and we're going to just do a few verses a week, but he did this in one sermon. It just had to be just an amazing experience. It's a super important passage Really, the entire Christian faith is in a nutshell here. It's, it's here. And I just want to encourage you to, if you hit a verse that really hits you, memorize it. And to then try to live it. Whew. Uh, I know the ladies group. How many of the ladies did Sermon on the Mount maybe a couple years ago? Didn't you guys do that? Yeah, okay, Yoshi, the only one. nobody else vouching for that. All right, but I was looking at Kay Arthur's book. Kim was showing me how much they, they liked this book. And I liked her outline. She had a couple points. She said, Matthew 5, 3 to 9 is the first seven Beatitudes. We'll explain more about that when we get that. And that's the character of those in, who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the character. Then the next, uh, after Matthew 5, 3 to 9 is Matthew 5, 10 to 12, which are the eighth and ninth Beatitudes. And that talks about the conflict that our real faith will produce with those in the world. And then after that, the rest of chapter 5, 6, and then 7 is the conduct of a true Christian. So we have the character, the conflict, and the conduct of the true Christian. Just kind of a little outline to kind of help you along. You can make up your own outline. I know everybody has their own. But, but anyway, two vital emphases that jump out at us in, as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. The first one is happiness. Anybody here want to be happy? <laughs> is anybody happy? Raise two hands. Yeah, I said, I get it. Yeah. Not many of us are really happy, really. And, but we're going to find the secret to true happiness, and it's going to surprise you. 
Because it's the opposite of what the world teaches how to be happy. We're going to see something really shocking with the whole happiness thing. And then also the second thing, and this is what I want to just focus on this morning, is change. We all want to change for the better, don't we? Well, hopefully we do. And, but it's so hard. It seems impossible, doesn't it? Some, there are certain things in our life we want to change, and it seems impossible sometimes. We just get discouraged. So many of us, I know, are one way at church and another way at home, you know. Uh, I think we're all like that in some way, right? A lot of us have irritating habits we want to change, certain things that we do that just really irritate people, habitual sins that we've been wrestling with our whole life, it seems like, and, or, or we, ways that we keep hurting those that we love. We love people but we keep hurting them the same way if we could change just one thing what would it be if you're having trouble thinking of something ask those you live with i'm sure they could come up with several all right but what's that one thing we'd really like to change this is all about change how to truly change this is a powerful passage about changing not perfection we're never going to be there till we you know go live with god but progress progressing in our change That's what grace is all about. Let me pray. Father, as we go into a very, very powerful, important passage starting out, Lord, I I pray that each one of us would see where we really are spiritually without you. And Lord, no matter what we're struggling with, whatever we're wrestling with, however discouraged that we might be even given up this morning, I pray that we would have hope this morning after hearing what Jesus said with the Sermon on the Mount, that we would have hope. Hope for true change. Hope for true happiness. I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit now through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're just going to do the, unlike Jesus, I'm just going to kind of intro the first couple of verses here. Matthew 5, 1 to 2. Where he says, Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, and we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. But he went up on a mountain here. And when I was in Israel, anybody in Israel see the Sermon on the Mount where they think the mount was? Right along the Sea of Galilee, there's a place where they think it probably was along the, along the shoreline. There's a big mount, mount that kind of raises up. And they think that's probably where the Sermon on the Mount was given. It's a natural amphitheater because you're speaking to thousands of people. It's a very natural amphitheater. If you've ever been on a lake, you know what I'm talking about. The lake, the water, and all the, the, how it carries the sound. It's, it's great. But there's a deep meaning, a deeper meaning to what this mountain here, the mention of a mountain. That's no accident. Anytime you see something in the Scripture, there's a reason for it. The Holy Spirit has a reason for it. And if we look to find that reason, we have to look back at Exodus 19, verse 3, which I believe is going to be right behind me. Thank you. Nope, almost. There it is. All right. Uh, 19.3, where it says, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell to the people of Israel. And he gave them the law. He called Moses up to this mountain and gave him the law. Now, this isn't the same mountain, but it's a picture. It's a picture. It's a, it's a, it's a continuation because there's a, a total connection here. Moses went up on the mountain to get the law. Jesus went up on the mountain to expound on the law, to explain what the law really means. And, but there's, there, that's, the, that's the similarity. The differences are what really jump out at us. Moses went up 
all by his lonesome. Joshua went halfway up and had to stay. He went up all by himself because he was going up. Uh, he was going up, and what was going up on what was going on up on that mountain? It turned into a volcano, right? There's lightning and thunder and fire, and it was super scary because he was receiving the law. You've all seen Charlton Heston, the Ten Commandments. He was receiving in stone the law. And the law is all about judgment because we all break the law, and he's receiving it to show us that we break God's law. It's judgment. Jesus didn't go up alone. He went up with a mob, followed him up. Now, he calls his disciples, but we know from the context that the whole crowd ended up following them up, and he was just surrounded by thousands of people up on, he was, he was, it was a mob, because Jesus, unlike the law with Moses, where only one person could go up, they couldn't go near the mountain, or they would have died, he called everybody up with him, and they went with him, and the difference is, is that now God is accessible through Jesus Christ. We have access to him through Jesus Christ. And all, they all had to keep a distance from the mountain with Moses because the law and the sin of breaking the law separated the Israelites from God. They couldn't go near the mountain and be near God because they broke the law. But Jesus Christ came to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. He never broke the law. And not only that, he paid for our sin. He paid for all the times that we broke the law. He paid for that. And so now that we can be reconnected, we can come up the mountain with Jesus Christ and connect with the Father. That's the whole difference here. It's amazing what you could, what amazing if we really look at the scripture. It's amazing what we see. There's no wasted verses, is there? But first, before he paid for the law on the cross, before he paid for our sins, first he taught the law. And he had to reteach it because the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day had distorted it and twisted it and made such a mess of God's word that it was buried under this avalanche of human tradition and and, and, and false teaching. Sound like America today, right? And, and it was buried under this, so he gives the true meaning. That's why he keeps saying, you have heard it said, I tell you. You have heard someone say, this is what it is? No, no, this is what it really means. And, and we're going to see this. It's really searching, powerful, what Jesus teaches. And so he sits down and begins to teach. Now he sits down, and this is also uh, makes a point here when he sits down, because Matthew, remember, uh, Matthew taught, his emphasis was Jesus Christ the King, Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews. And he's presenting that. And so we see that Jesus ascends up onto the mountain. He's elevated and he sits down. It's like sitting on the throne. And it's also the Jewish teachers, when they were to teach, they would sit down. That's why whenever you see Jesus in the boat, sits down. He's in the synagogue, sits down. Before he expounds it, and that's because it's a position of authority. When Jesus sat down, he wasn't just tired, although he probably was tired. He was taking us up on a mountaintop taking a, a position of authority, and did he ever teach with authority? In fact, in Matthew 7, let's go ahead a couple of chapters here. In Matthew 7, look what, when he finished the sermon. Verse 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as one of the teachers of the law. He taught with authority, with power. That's how Jesus taught. And, and, and that's why he's sitting down. He's taking his seat of authority. And he's teaching his disciples. We see the disciples came to him, but we know from the context it's obvious that the whole mob followed him up on the mountain. And he's teaching disciples, but he's also teaching the seekers. 
Both are going to be reached here. And you may be here as a, a Christian. You may be a follower of Jesus Christ. You're going to get a lot out of this. But even if you're just seeking and trying to f- figure out who this Jesus guy is, there's a powerful message for everyone here in, the, in here. And, and what he taught was the key to the whole Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, the key to the whole Bible is in capsule form here in these two, three, five, six, seven, three chapters. It's, it's really the entire Bible in a capsule. And, and if, if you never had anything else in the Bible, you just had these three chapters, you would have the heart of the Bible here. Powerful, powerful passage. It's the longest sermon that Jesus ever gave. We don't really know how long because he probably expounded on these somewhat points. But it's the longest passage, the longest sermon he ever gave. It was also very practical. Very practical. There's not a lot of what to believe in here. There's a lot more of what, what, how, what to be done. How to live. It's very, very practical. And I want to read it for you. I'm gonna, I want you to just picture we're sitting on a mountain. And I'm not Jesus. <laughs> I wish I had a you know, video of him doing this. But uh, we're going to have to do it with my reading it. But once again, I'm, I usually only hit like a couple verses. But he did this whole sermon in one sitting. And I want you to just picture that we're up on a mountain. And we're surrounded by all these people. And the goats and sheep and who knows what else. Fishermen hawking fish. Buy my fish, buy my bread. Uh, this is all going on top of the mountain. And Jesus is a radical guy who's casting out demons. Healing people left and right. You can imagine what that would be like, right? Healing everybody. Bringing people back from the dead. Breaking up funerals left and right. And he starts to teach. And once again, as we go through this, it's going to really hit you what he really said. Because these are radical Teachings that he's given, but even without knowing all that, there's still a lot here for us. And I just want to, I just want to read this, and as as the main part of our sermon today. I reread verses one to two. Then Jesus said, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth." Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same 
will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Picture this. When he said that, they must have... (gasps) That had to shock them. The things he's saying are shocking. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, Do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received the reward in full. 
But when you give to the needy, do not let your right hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men when they their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The eye is a lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness! No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body. For you, what you will wear, is not, life not more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the lilies of the fields grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all this time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. 
First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything you do, do to others what you would have them do unto you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. As good trees cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine does not, and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed and te- at his teachings. The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. How would you like to sit under Jesus' teaching? Now you know why when a lot of teachers, when they teach on TV or in their churches, when they teach their crowds get bigger. But when Jesus taught, his congregation got smaller. He would start with this big crowd, and then it would go to a smaller group and a smaller group until he only had a little remnant left. Over and over he did this. Why? Look what he said. Radical. As I'm reading it, I'm like, wow. So many radical. Thoughts, But the thing that hit me the most is comparing my life to that passage. I couldn't get past the first two verses. And he just kept going. What in our life? Was anybody else convicted? (laughs) What in our life needs to change? 
what do we say? God, if you could just change this one thing in me, I'd really appreciate it. It would really make me happy. We're going to talk about happiness. What is something that we'd really like God to change in us? Do you want to change? That's the key. Do, you, do we want to change? Maybe you're here saying you're discouraged. Maybe you're ready to give up. Maybe you already have given up and you're just faking it. Don't raise hands. <laughs> I think we're all there at times, aren't we? I want to encourage you to hang on. Hang on for a few more months. I'm lying. It's going to take longer than that. But hang on until we get through Matthew 5 through 7. And I want to encourage you to just start reading it every week. Every day would be great, but every week just start reading it and start digging in and a verse really hits you. Start to memorize it so that, and start trying to live it so that when we get to this part, it's going to really be on fire for you. And, and it, maybe you have a good book. Some of you have the K. Arthur books, commentaries online, Google, whatever you got. Read that along and study it because there's a lot of teachers that do a great job bringing things out. Use it. But I want to really encourage you. I want to encourage you, don't give up until we get through chapters 5 through 7. No matter how discouraged you are, no matter how impossible it seems, I want to encourage you, just hang on and see what God can do in, in, in our lives, in our church, in us, in a very special way. And I hope that months from now, maybe a year from now, I don't know how long it's going to take, we're going to, we're going to be really transformed. I hope that me personally, God's going to transform me, and I pray he transforms each one of us in, in a special way through this passage. But you know what? You don't have to wait till we get through the, this passage to change. You can start today because it starts by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You can do that right away. It starts with a heart change. This is all about heart change. It starts with a heart change. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, it talks about how to start that change. It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For it is with a heart that you believe. Look here. For it is with a heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. It's the heart. If you if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that He died on that cross, that He came down to teach to live perfect, to die on a cross in our place to pay for our sin. If we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that he's died for us. And we give our life to him. Confess that, that believe in your heart that God raised from the dead. Confess that Jesus is Lord. That Lord part is giving him control of our life. Not just believing he died for us, but, but making him Lord of our life. When we take that step, the change begins. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us and we become a radical new person. And as we let God's word, Matthew 5 to 7, we let his word really move in us, amazing things happen. Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer, how is God speaking to us? What needs to change in our heart, in our life, in our character, in our conduct? 
Would we surrender that today to God and say, God, begin the change in me. Be honest with God. Say, God, I've given up. I don't have any hope anymore. I can't do this. I need you to do it, God. Keep praying that prayer, not just this morning, but keep praying that way. That's where God wants us. He wants us totally dependent, which we'll see very quickly here in Matthew chapter 5. And maybe you're here today and you've never had a heart change. You've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. But today is the day that you take that step. The first step before God can radically change us. The first step is putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Is God speaking to you, calling to you, pulling on your heart? Then take that step right now. There's no one prayer. It's just a prayer from your heart to God's heart. Something like, God, I, I believe Jesus is your son who died on the cross for me to pay for my sin, for all the times I've broken your law, to pay for that. I put my faith in him. I give my life to Jesus as my Lord. Please start changing me. Father, we know that we can't do it. Only your Holy Spirit can do it in us. We're begging for your mercy. And your grace to change, to be transformed into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, to be set free and to be truly happy, to break free of the world's lies and deception and bondage, the enemy's bondage. And to live the life, Lord, I pray that each one of us could live the life Jesus Christ has freed us to live. I pray you to give us that hope this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.